Hey. Hi. What's up? What's good? What's happening? Why Why am I here again? Why am I back? I don't know. I, I just am. So, in, in all seriousness, after I recorded the first episode of this podcast and uploaded it to YouTube and then later on Spotify, I honestly kind of thought that might have been it. Like, I didn't know if I would feel like doing another episode, and that's not because the process was tiresome or anything like that. It, it was actually a lot easier and streamlined than I expected. I just didn't know if I would have the motivation or desire to try something like that again. But what I ended up realizing was that this podcast can actually be a really cool avenue for me to talk about music in a way that stretches beyond just, you know, text on the website or graphics on social media. I also expected no reception of any kind, but I actually did get some acknowledgement for that episode, and that was really cool, and it meant a lot to me. And on, on top of all of that, I thought February was an even better month for music than January was, so factoring all that in, I don't really have a reason to not record another episode. That was a really, really long-winded way for me to say that I actually enjoy this podcast, so I'm going to keep it going. And for this episode, I'm going to talk about my top 10 artists of February 2021. The same rules apply for this list as they did back in January, although there is one distinction between both lists that I want to mention briefly. So, in January, I had some artists on the list who did not have new music out. They just had other accomplishments that I wanted to talk about. This time, every artist for February's list did have new music out. And I'll... I'll probably just end up reiterating this for every episode, even though it should be common sense. All of this is strictly my own personal opinion. Maybe somebody hearing this has never heard of these artists before, or doesn't give a shit about them. That's fine, you know. You're allowed whatever opinion you want on music, just like I am. So, I'm going to start off by listing my two runner-ups, so subsequently number 12 and 11. Number 12 is Hunter Oliveri, and... I don't know a ton about Hunter, except that he's ridiculously young. Like, he's either 15 or 16 at this point. But his newest single, called Afterglow, completely exceeded anything I would have expected from someone his age. And if he can put out more music in the coming months that are of the same quality of Afterglow, or somehow even better, then I really don't see why he can't be one of alternative music's brightest young talents. Number 11 is Watch for Wolves. This is a bit of a technicality, because their debut single, called Guilty by Dissociation premiered on YouTube at the end of January, but it was uploaded to Spotify on February 5th. And at the time of its debut on Spotify, this band had three monthly listeners, and as of right now, they have 278. So, you know, small growth, but growth nonetheless. And Guilty by Dissociation still has less than a thousand streams, but it is one of my favorite songs of the year so far, and I think it's a perfect throwback to post-hardcore of the 2000s. So, on to the actual list. Number 10, Haley Williams. Motherfucking paramour Haley Williams. Legitimately one of the greatest vocalists of my generation. And while Paramore hasn't been active in a minute now, Haley has been active as just a solo act, and just a little less than a year after releasing her debut album, which was Pedals for Armor, she put out the follow-up called Flowers for Vases slash Descansos back on February 5th. 
from what I can remember, because sometimes I have worms for brains, she announced the album on February 4th and was like, yeah, also, by the way, this thing drops tonight. Which, you know, is such a fucking flex and a power move that only someone of Haley's caliber could actually pull off. So, the the reason that I have her at 10 and nowhere higher on the list is because I I don't really like the album that much. I think Haley sounds incredible throughout all of it, and there's definitely substance to all of the tracks, but it was easy for me to lose interest once I realized that every song kind of blended with each other. Like, I could not tell you which song was which if you played any of them for me right now. Even if I'm admitting that I don't love this new album, bro, it's fucking Haley Williams. Um, I'm not gonna not give her a spot on this list. Like, seriously, nothing but respect for a literal fucking queen. And the album is performing really well, despite what I think about it, because it looks like some of the songs, if not all of them, have already surpassed 1 million streams on Spotify. So, whether it's Paramore or Haley's solo material, she will always have a spot in whatever I do with this podcast and the website. Number nine is Madison Beer. And Madison Beer is the most mainstream artist I've talked about yet on Ulterior. She falls into a category that is as far removed from alternative music as possible. Like, just to kind of paint that picture, she has 14.5 million listeners on Spotify and 22.8 million followers on Instagram. Like, she's genuinely a huge star, yet up until this past Friday, February 26th, she didn't even have an album. She had an EP three years ago and a couple of singles, but that was it. But some of that content really did grab my attention. Like, the EP I just mentioned had two songs on there called Dead and Tyler Durden that I really, really enjoyed. So, like a lot of other people, I was waiting and anticipating an album from her, and that finally happened, like I said last Friday, when she released Life Support, which is her debut album. And it produced a fair number of singles, and when listening to the album, I can hear some songs that I think will and should get singles treatment later on. Specifically, there's a song on there called Stay Numb and Carry On that I was really taken aback by, and it might be my favorite thing I've ever heard from Madison. I think it's a good debut album. Not perfect by any means, but it's something that Madison's fan base has been deserving of for being so patient in waiting for this album, and I really, really hope that everybody who wanted to enjoy this album did enjoy it. And it got 7 million debut streams, which is pretty fucking incredible for any artist. Number 8, Soft Cult. And this is a part of the episode where I'm going to try my best to not get pissed off. So, I wish I could sit here and tell everyone that they should go stream Soft Cult's new single called Uzumaki, but the reality is that you can't. The song was taken off of Spotify and YouTube and just about everywhere else you could go to listen to it. It's like it never happened. And the reason for that is really shitty and unfortunate. So, what happened was Soft Cult, which is a band that is an offset of another band called Courage My Love, dropped a song called Uzumaki. And 
what people noticed was that it sounded very similar to another song called Two-Way Mirror by Loathe. Where, where that gets kind of ugly is that Loathe has a very, very passionate and vocal fan base. A fan base that, I'm not saying all of Loathe's fans are guilty of this, but a certain portion of them thought the answer to all of this was to bully the fuck out of Soft Cult. There was someone I saw who even emailed Soft Cult's label and complained about Uzumaki being similar to Two-Way Mirror. I, I did get to hear Uzumaki before it was pulled, and yes, it does sound like Two-Way Mirror. I'm not going to argue that. Honestly, I liked it more than Two-Way Mirror, but that's an entirely separate argument that I could be bashed for, so I'm not going to get into it right now. But it was just like a sea of toxicity, and Soft Cult actually posted a statement to their Twitter saying that they got into contact with Loathe, and there was no animosity between the two bands, but they did decide to take the song off of the internet. It really wasn't fair to Soft Cult, and I feel bad that this song kind of doesn't even exist anymore because they clearly put time and effort into it, and it even got a music video. And now that's all erased because of a sad coincidence that it sounded like another song. What was cool was that some artists did defend Soft Cult on social media, so that was nice, and it, it, it was it was calming to know that they did have support. And, you know, there's there's a bunch of shit I could say right now about how Loathe aren't even entirely original and sound a lot like Deftones at times, but I really don't want to add to this mess. And uh, don't get me wrong, I actually do like Loathe, I just thought... It was bullshit what some of their fans decided to do to Soft Cult. Number seven is Goody Grace. I didn't know who the fuck Goody Grace was before February. And now that I think about it, maybe I should have because his discography goes back to 2015 and he has 1.4 million listeners on Spotify. And he in 2019, he even had a song that features Blink-182 and that song charted on Billboard's alternative chart. So he's clearly big and is doing very well. I just, for whatever reason, missed him, and that's completely my fault. But, you know, good on him for his success. And on February 26th, he released his debut album called Don't Forget Where You Came From. And having listened through all of it twice, I can say that it's an incredibly solid record that finds its sound in various sectors of emo history. And by that, I mean the songs throughout the album take influence from genres like pop-punk and alternative and emo hip-hop. And there are some really, really wild features on this album, like Juicy J and G-Eazy. And that song that I mentioned with Blink-182 is on this album. And the closing song, 21 and Jaded, features Anthony Fantano, of all people. Like, the fucking music critic guy. You know, Needle Drop or Melon or whatever the fuck anyone listening to this knows him as. Yeah, like, his weird ass plays bass on that song. And you know what? It's a good fucking song. There are plenty of good songs on this album, and I think Goody Grace achieved everything he set out to do with this debut record. So what I'm asking for from people is to not do what I did and remain ignorant to Goody Grace. Go ahead and give this album a chance. I think it's varied enough to where there's something on this record 
for everybody to get into. Number six, Trash Boat. So, I can't really sit here and have a conversation about Trash Boat at large, because I'm still fairly new to them. Like, I did discover them a couple of years ago on a cover of Given Up by Linkin Park, but I didn't immediately go through their, their discography and become attached to them. So, when they released a new single in February, I didn't necessarily have any high expectations, yet I feel like even if I did, their new song called He's So Good would have exceeded them. There's a really, like, infectious vibe spread throughout that song, not just with its instrumentation, but the vocal delivery on it is so fucking cool and powerful. And I think having the whole song kind of be built around that, along with several different melodies, just, it makes for a masterful track, in my opinion. And the song itself carries with it a message about homophobia, and the merch sales for the single are actually benefiting a charity that helps LGBTQ youth in the UK who are at risk of homelessness. It's a sentiment that is important to not only the band, but any of their fans who might fall into the audience that this song is speaking to. And even if I personally cannot identify with the subject matter, I can still recognize its importance. And on a smaller note, the artwork for He's So Good is fucking amazing and probably my favorite artwork I've seen attached to any music project so far this year. Number five is Teenage Wrist. Teenage Wrist have spent quite some time now building up to what would be their second album. Like, since August, we had been getting singles such as Silver Spoon and Taste of Gasoline, and that was all for February 12th when the album Earth is a Black Hole finally released. Kind of like Trash Boat, I couldn't get extensively in-depth about the history of Teenage Wrist, but... I can tell you about why I think Earth is a Black Hole is one of the most fulfilling musical experiences so far in 2021. There's a sense of, like, mopiness mixed with aggression that intertwines every song perfectly with each other. And, like, this is somehow as 90s sounding as it is 2020s sounding. Like... I'm sitting here now trying to explain what this album sounds like, and I'm realizing how difficult that actually is. Songs like High Again, New Emotion, and Wasting Time have not left me since I came across them, and I fully expect to appreciate this album more and more throughout the rest of the year while getting a better understanding of exactly who Teenage Wrists are, because they have more than earned my attention with this album. Number four is Nothing Nowhere. I'm paraphrasing this probably, but I saw something recently. I, I want to say it was a tweet, but I can't remember exactly. But I saw something that said emo rap is the new metalcore in the sense that the market for that music is, has become oversaturated and there aren't a ton of standout artists in that market. I, I do think I agree with that. But there can be a positive spin applied there. If emo rap is the new metalcore, then Nothing Nowhere is to emo rap what Knocked Loose is to metalcore. What I mean by that is Knocked Loose came out of nowhere and have so quickly impacted metalcore and changed the way that so many bands in that genre operate. 
And I think Nothing Nowhere will be doing just that for emo rap. Nothing Nowhere is such an important artist at the moment, and February was the biggest month of his career so far because of the release of his new album called Trauma Factory. Backed by Fueled by Ramen, one of the biggest labels that houses scene acts, Nothing Nowhere seemingly had the eyes of everybody in the scene on him, and going into the album, it seemed almost impossible for him to fail. And that's because we had already heard a handful of singles like Death, Fake Friend, Pretend, and Upside Down. All of which were incredible songs, by the way. All Nothing Nowhere had, had to do was remain consistent off of those singles, and Trauma Factory would have been great. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. Trauma Factory, for so many people, defined February. And I know I've been saying emo rap to describe Nothing Nowhere, and that's predominantly what he is, but there are songs on Trauma Factory that branch out of that. Like, Pretend is layered with pop-punk elements, and Death is fairly heavy and borders new metal in its final minute. Uh, as of right now, I haven't written the review for that album yet, but I will say that I don't think it's perfect. There are minor things I can pick apart and critique, but in the overall scope of things, Nothing Nowhere made sure in February that people understand why he is so necessary to music right now. Number three, Normandy. So this is a victory lap of sort for me personally, because after seeing the potential that Normandy have had for a while now, I can finally, finally say that they're one of my favorite current bands. I liked their last album, White Flag, which came out in 2018, but I didn't love it. And then when Jericho was released as a first single for their new album called Dark and Beautiful Secrets, I thought Normandy were onto something. I was so blown away by how much I adored that song. And then Holy Water came afterward as the next single, and the same thing happened. When Babylon dropped in January, I felt like maybe I was setting unrealistic expectations, but ultimately no. Dark and Beautiful Secrets came out on February 19th, and it was every bit as good as I could have asked for it to be. And then some, if I'm being honest. It, it's probably a weird comparison, but I equate this to how a parent or teacher might feel when a child does well on something. Like, I knew Normandy could deliver a near-flawless album, and that's what they did. And I can't help but, like, oddly be proud of them for that. Dark and Beautiful Secrets is so fucking good, and if I have to pick a highlight from that album, then I'm raving about a song on there called Bury Me Alive that is so catchy and memorable and brings forth every single thing that I wanted Normandy to become. Number two, Architects. If someone tells me that Architects is the most important band of all time, I would tell them that I get it. I understand what someone means if they say that Architects is the reason why they're into metalcore, or even just music at large, really. Uh, and I shouldn't assume things, so... If anyone listening to this doesn't know about Architects, all I can really say is that they have influenced maybe more bands than any other metalcore band ever. Like, when it comes to importance and relevance, if Bring Me The Horizon can't be number one for whatever reason, 
then number one is easily Architects. But just like Bring Me the Horizon, Architects underwent a change in sound that, for, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, scared some of their fans. Their new singles were not as heavy as their older material, but the accessibility of a song like Animals paid off for the band since they're now at 2.1 million listeners on Spotify, and before Animals released, they weren't even at a million. The growth of this band over the last few months is beyond astounding, and Animals was representative of the new architect sound that was found throughout their new album, For Those That Wish To Exist, which was released on February 26th. This is a new architects, and I think more importantly, this is a divisive architects. Depending on where you look online, you'll see people either praising this album or writing it off as a radio rock failure. Radio rock, sure, fine, whatever. I'll I'll give you that, I guess, even if I don't entirely agree with that label for this album. But failure? Bro, no. Like not even close. The streaming numbers for all of the singles surpassed 1 million, and the album ended up as number 2 for US debut albums over the weekend on Spotify. Everything right now points to this being Architects' most commercially successful album yet. And honestly, it's also my favorite Architects album so far. I'll get more detailed in the eventual review on the website, but for a 15-song album, I was captivated pretty much all throughout it. This is as refined as Architects can possibly sound, and I'm so happy with what the end result was when it comes to For Those That Wish To Exist. So before I get into the number one selection, I'll go ahead and recap the list up to this point. The runner-ups were Hunter Oliveri and Watch For Wolves. Number 10, Haley Williams. Number 9, Madison Beer. Number 8, Soft Cult. Number 7, Goody Grace. Number 6, Trash Boat. Number 5, Teenage Wrist. Number 4, Nothing Nowhere. Number 3, Normandy. Number 2, Architects. And Ulterior's choice for the number 1 overall artist of February 2021 of Mice and Men. This is really cool for me personally because... Uh, I, I guess, spoiler alert on the first episode if you never listened to it. I named Of Mice and Men the second best artist of January, and now I'm giving them the number one spot for February. The window for that to happen was ridiculously small, because the band released a new EP called Timeless on February 26th, but it only had three songs, one of which had already dropped in January. It was called Obsolete, and it still stands as a, one of my favorite songs of the year so far. On February 10th, the title track, Timeless, got its own release as a single. And I initially was a bit lukewarm on it. It didn't capture me immediately the same way Obsolete did. But what I realized was I just kept that song on repeat and soon enough, it grew on me immensely. Like, I had something to do that day, and I just kept listening to Timeless while I was busy, not realizing that I was absorbing every melody and lyric to the point where I knew the song by memory. 
A little over two weeks later, the EP released, and with it came the third and final song, Anchor. I... I... I cannot possibly find the words to truly and thoroughly express how Anchor made me feel. It put me in a spot that Of My Cement were not able to do for a really long time. And what I mean by that is... So... I think anyone who knows me personally can attest to just how obsessed I am with Bring Me the Horizon. They've been my favorite band for more than a decade now, but honestly, there was a time in 2014 where I felt like Of Mice and Men were overtaking them. It's entirely fair to say that at one point, I was only able to get out of bed every day and live my life thanks to Of Mice and Men. Anchor brought back all of those memories, and it stimulated my brain in a way that very, very few songs have ever been able to do. I, like, like, no bullshit, I wanted to cry when I heard Anchor. It meant that much to me, and with it came the realization that Of Mice and Men are once again one of my favorite bands in the world. And that's entirely because of their new material. Like, any time right now that I feel like listening to A Mice and Men, I default to the Timeless EP. And to me, that's astounding, given that Of Mice and Men, in my opinion, have one of the most fleshed out and incredible discographies out of any band I've ever listened to. Yet, I'm picking their newest songs over some of my favorite songs of all time from them, and I know that's not just because of recency bias. This is incredible work on their part. And to give them number one artists of February in the year 2021 is something I wouldn't have ever expected. And I understand what putting them in the top spot indicates. I'm saying that three, just three of Mice and Men songs carry more weight for me than 15 Architect songs and 10 Normandy songs. And to that I just say, Listen, it, it it is what it is. It be what it be. And what it be is of mice and fucking men. And that that's it. That's the end of that. Holy shit, I recorded a second podcast when, like a month ago, I didn't think I was even going to ever try just one. Um... So, I, I think at this point I can say that this will be a regular occurrence. You know, at the start of every month, I'll make a podcast episode for my 10 artists, or top 10 artists of the prior month. But, um, on that same note, I would like to potentially branch out and make more episodes dealing with different topics. Just so that way I'm not only producing content once a month. Um, and, you know, it... If anybody listening to this has any ideas, like, you know, absolutely feel free to let me know of them. Like, you know, I can be like, okay, what, what can I do for a podcast episode? Like, okay, top top favorite bands ever, top favorite albums ever, favorite songs ever, favorite songs from a certain band or albums from a certain band. But, like, I'm only thinking, like, 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 like I have, like, a one-track of mind with that shit, and I'm only thinking about certain topics. Maybe somebody has an idea that I'm not at all considering. So, in that sense, yeah, I would... I would like feedback on that, if that makes any sense what I'm saying. I'm probably just rambling now. This was kind of mind-numbing, to be honest. But I'm happy I did it. 
I hope whoever's listening to this was happy that they heard it. Maybe you'll feel like listening to some of the artists that I talked about today. That'd be pretty cool. If not, that's totally fine. You know, you're free to do whatever you want. You're free to listen to whatever you want. That's something that I want to, you know, really, really hammer in for Ulterior. Listen to what makes you happy. Fuck what anyone else thinks. And with all that being said, I'm just going to go ahead and get off of this episode right now. And yeah, thank you for listening. And for better or worse, let's make a scene.